morning. Uh, today's reading is taken from Acts 4, uh, 1 to 22. And the text is Peter and John before the Sanhedrin. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were sp- uh, speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming it in, the, in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked who he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stand before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in in this name. Then they called them in again, and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him, to be judges? As for us, no, sorry, you be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go.
They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Uh, this is the word of God. Praise God. Well, good morning. Now, persecution is never a nice thing, is it? I don't know about you, like if you've ever faced persecution before in your life, but it's not nice. And not only that, but life's hard enough without persecution, isn't it? You know? And actually, I woke up to a text today from my dad saying um, that he'd had a call from the bank and that he thinks my account's been frauded. So it's like... Great. Typical. (laughs) So I'll sort that out later. But it's these things. We're faced with persecution, but also life's difficult anyway. I wonder what you've ever faced or felt of persecution personally. Or maybe you know of others who have faced persecution. Well, today we're going to look at growth in persecution. Last week, Hebrew spoke about how Peter and John, through faith, healed a lame man, and as a result, a large crowd gathered to hear how they had done it and who was responsible for it. The two disciples then have this wonderful opportunity to explain the gospel to the people. However, whenever the gospel is preached to a large group of people who don't know Jesus, there's usually some sort of persecution as a result in some way. Now, in this case, it wasn't the people. They were amazed at what God had done through Jesus' name. But it was the religious leaders of the people. There's three groups mentioned here. And in verse 1, if you look down, you'll see it's the priests, it's the captain of the temple guard, and the Sadducees. And they've all got different interests in putting a stop to the disciples' gathering. Well, why is this? Firstly, we see here it's power. And this is one of the common reasons that Christians are persecuted today. Either people want power over them, or the people that they are witnessing to have someone in charge of them who have some hold over them. The priests here were scared of losing their power over the people. You can imagine, or you can try to imagine how they felt. Uh... They were important religious men who had trained hard to earn a place in society. And now they were being ignored. They weren't being listened to anymore. In fact, who was being listened to was a couple of untrained fishermen. Freedom of speech, well, we've got to stop that, they say to themselves. And that sounds familiar, doesn't it? That's happening in the world today. Next up is the captain of the temple guard. It's his job to keep order in the temple, and he has to stop riots from happening before they happen. And we see that there's two fishermen teaching in the temple, and he says to himself, well, this looks a bit fishy to me. They're not trained to speak. Thank you, thank you. They're not trained to speak. Who knows what they'll say? They're breaking the temple rules doing this. And then lastly, the Sadducees. Now, when Jesus was doing his ministry, we see it's usually the Pharisees who caused him the most trouble, and the Sadducees would follow after them. But once Jesus dies on the cross and conquers death, there's a bit of a shift between the two groups of religious leaders. Yeah, the Pharisees are still around, aren't they? I mean, 
We know that Saul was a Pharisee before his journey on the Damascus Road. But the Sadducees take a front seat in the book of Acts, persecuting the early believers because they don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. It's not in their doctrine. So verse 2, it says, They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. And this is something that Christians are persecuted again for today, isn't it? The resurrection of the dead. They don't believe that someone can come back from, from the dead. And so this isn't something that, that is um, accepted. Now, the title of this series today, um, if you're new with us, welcome. The series that we're looking at is called The Church in Transition. The, the Changing Church, if you like. And we're exploring the change through the book of Acts, the change that the church takes. And today we're going to look at how Peter and John face persecution. And my hope today is that the three points can help us as we think about facing persecution in our own walk with Christ. So the first point today, the Spirit of God. Now there are varying forms of persecution. Some of them you aren't being persecuted. Some, you think you're being persecuted, and some of you are really being persecuted. And this happens to all of us. So maybe today some of you are being persecuted by family or someone in your workplace or school. Now, if you're living as a Christian, then you should expect some persecution at some point in your life. Jesus actually warns us about it. And if you are struggling with persecution today, well done. You're living for God and you're listening to his word. So be encouraged this morning because he loves you very much and he will never put us through more than we can bear. And it's also important to mention that persecution isn't something that we actively look for. It'll find you. Okay? Um, I'm sure that we've all seen some of the terrible things that have been on the news recently. Uh, there's persecution of Christian, Christians all the time in the news. And it's happening all over the world today. Um, a church was burnt to the ground in Pakistan at the end of last year. And uh, over 70 churches have been destroyed in Niger. And IS militants are publishing prices for Christian slaves in Iraq and this is just a, a few examples of the persecution that's happening in our world today. And these are extreme cases. We know that in Hong Kong it's not quite that bad, is it? Well, it's not nowhere near that bad. And we, I mean, when we hear what's going on in other parts of the world, we might feel despondent when we hear these stories of persecution. How do Christians keep going when these things happen to them? How... How do they keep going? How would we face that if we had to? How could I face it? What would I do? Well, let's see how Peter and John stand firm in the face of persecution. So looking at the passage, Peter and John seem to face the persecution from the powerful men, don't they? We've talked a bit about power. It's because um, they're proclaiming the truth. They're saying what they believe in verse 12, that salvation is only found in the name of Jesus. How, how are they doing this? They're not supermen. How can they stand up in front of powerful men? Imagine if um, C.Y. Leung asked you to do something that compromised your beliefs. Would you do it? Could you do it? 
powerful men, when they, when they ask things of us, what do we need when we stand in front of them? We need the Holy Spirit. We need courage. If you look, um, verse 8, we're told they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 13, they have courage, courage from the Holy Spirit to stand in front of these powerful people. When we're being persecuted, we need the help of the Holy Spirit with us. Whenever we speak the gospel, we need wisdom. Thankfully, we have the promises from God's word that he will, never, he will, that he will always be with us. Um, so John 14, verse 16 and 17 says this. And I will ask the Father, these are Jesus' words, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. And Hebrews 13, verse 5 and 6 says this. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? So whatever our fears or worries are, maybe you're being persecuted financially today. Or maybe you're worried that if you stand up for Jesus in your workplace, you might not get that promotion at work. Hebrews reminds us, don't love money more than God. Be content with what you have. God will never leave you. And that's one of the greatest truths that we have as Christians. Verse 6. We say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? And Peter can say this because God has raised Jesus from the dead. There is nothing that God does not have power over. There's nothing that your persecutors can do to you that you need to be afraid of because God is powerful even over death. And as Christians, we need to be like Peter and John. We need to rely on the Holy Spirit for courage and wisdom. We need to listen to the Holy Spirit. And then we need to say things of God and not of ourselves. Because let's face it. If we're being persecuted and we say, well, if I'm being persecuted and I rely on me to say something to those who are persecuting me, then I'm not going to say something nice to them, okay? If I rely on my own wisdom, I'm not always going to speak truth to them. If I rely on my own courage, I might not be able to stand firm in the face of persecution, And I think it's important at this point to to remind ourselves to pray for those who are in situations of persecution, for our brothers and sisters around the world, that they would have courage from the Holy Spirit. There are various organizations, such as um, the Barnabas Fund, that provides information on current situations around the world. Why don't you Google it, the Barnabas Fund, or check out the website and and just see what what that says. it's also something we do at the, the prayer meeting. So if you come along to prayer meeting, we pray for the persecuted church. It's something we do when we meet together. Why not come and join us at the next prayer meeting? Let's pray for boldness and courage in the face of persecution for all of Christ's church. The next point, the word of God. 
Now, the word of God is powerful. It's a powerful thing, and it never returns to God void. Okay? It always affects either the people we, we speak to or it affects us in some way. It always affects someone who hears it. So speaking from God's word can lead to persecution, like we see in the passage here for, for Peter and John. Peter and John are living by God's way, they're quoting God's words, and they're being persecuted for it. We can see that. But the flip side is that the word of God is also a great encouragement to those who are persecuted. Because remembering God's word in times of trial can just be enough to help us not to falter. One example which is really encouraging when you're facing persecution or if you're praying for others facing persecution is the promises of God. Remembering who God is and what he's, what he's done. What does God say about himself that you know is true and that you can hang on to when you really need to? What is it that you need to remember about God in your specific situation, where, wherever you are in life? This doesn't have to be about persecution today, but it can be about something to help you get through something or think something through. Maybe you need to make a wise decision in your life. Or maybe you need to, to speak into someone else's life in, in a wise way. Well, trying to remember back to a passage that you've read in the Bible, or, or even asking someone who knows the Bible better than yourself, who can help you, point you to the, the, the right passages or verses. They can point you in the right direction to the right passage. And we, we had a couple of references in the last point that God will never leave us. This is a really helpful um, thing to remember. We see that Peter talks, uh, when Peter talks, sorry, the Holy Spirit uses God's word. He's reminded of a psalm which is about Jesus in verse 11. He says this, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone, the capstone. Now, just remembering these few words would have meant a lot to the religious leaders because they're supposed to be building up Israel. They're supposed to be building Israel up, but instead they've built up their own reputations, which they've rejected Jesus to do. Peter is using the word of God to say to them, you killed Jesus the Messiah. You threw him away, but actually this stone which you rejected has become the most important stone. Why? Because God has raised him from the dead. So everything that your faith is built upon needs to change, to go around that. Because God has raised this man who you crucified, you need to rethink it all. So he's saying, stop building, get out your architect plans and start over with Jesus running straight through what you're building as the most important block in the structure that is your life, as your hope and your faith. Now, how can Jesus say, uh, how can Peter say this? Because it's the most important thing to him in the world. It's what he believes, and if they want to kill him for it, it doesn't matter to him because his king, his Lord, has power over death. So he can say that Jesus is the only way. Now, Peter and John, when faced with adversity, they rely on the promises of God from God's word. And they speak God's word through the Holy Spirit, 
for the situation in hand. But what about us then? Do we know, love and believe God's word? Do we remind ourselves of the promises that God has made to us? Are we people who speak Christ like Peter and John did? If we don't study and meditate on God's word, then how are we to answer people and where are we to find encouragement and wisdom when we face persecution? Parents, are you equipping your children to speak God's word to their friends? Do you know scripture to bring them encouragement when they face persecution in their lives or to prepare for the future? As culture changes. This third point. So now you can look at the text and you might be thinking, okay, Reese, I can see that Peter's filled with the Spirit. I can see where you got that point. I can see how he quotes Scripture, talking about the Word of God. But I can't actually see the word love written down here at all in this passage. What are you doing? Is this a typo? Well, no, I can spell love, okay? Um, And it's not just to make my three points look nice either. (laughs) Let's just think about this. Whenever there's a gospel message shared in a persecution setting, there should always be at least two types of love shared, okay? One is the love that we have for Jesus, from what he's done for us, and from that relationship we have with him, that makes us want to share And the more we love Jesus, the more ready we can be to share that love. And then there's the love of God. The love that can only come from God in a setting where we or others are persecuted. Okay. Let me lay out the scene for you. Peter and John are thrown in prison for the night. And the next day, they're taken to a place where Jesus has stood trial where the people who had plotted to kill him and brought him in on false charges now stood before them. These people struck him in the face. They handed him over to be beaten. And when the crowds um, were there, they had them turn against him and encouraged a murderer to be freed instead. Then they watched and jeered as Peter and John's teacher and Lord suffered on the cross. And they told him to come down and mocked him. So as their hero died in front of them, this is what Peter and John are now faced with. Those same people standing in front of them, still the same, they haven't changed, demanding answers and looking down on these two fishermen who dare to stand before them, the most powerful religious men in Israel. Do you think the fiery, spontaneous character of Simon Peter, the one who cut off a servant's ear for trying to go near Jesus to arrest him, would have loved those men without the help of God? No. Now, of course, he gives them the message straight. He doesn't shy away from telling them the truth in verse 10. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone that you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. You're the spiritual leaders of Israel. God's people, you should know better, he's saying. 
And these people have a greater knowledge of the scriptures than the rest of, of Israel, than the, the rest of the people that they were speaking to earlier, okay? And it's, it's worth saying that. It's important to remember that because actually when we meet people today, not many people know or understand God's words, do they? And that's worth saying. So if you are speaking to people, friends, don't attack them with the message of the gospel. The message of God is a message of love. And don't throw around language that they won't understand because that's not helpful. We were doing an evangelism training course in London. And one man who came for the training, his approach was to attack people with the gospel. God wants me to share this message. I'm going to share the truth like a bull in a china shop. Okay. So he didn't say this, but this is an example. You don't go up to people and say, your shirt looks terrible and that's the truth. I mean, you'd expect to, to get a bad reply back, wouldn't you? That's not something you'd say to somebody. But this guy would go up to people and say, go up to strangers and say, you're going to hell, you need to repent, and that's the truth. It's like, there's no love there at all. There's no love. And if you don't take the time to explain the words you're using or do it in love, it's, it's not right. Okay, so, and, he's, he, and then he'd go and say, Oh, yeah, I'm being persecuted all the time for being a Christian. No, you're being persecuted because of you. You need to change. If you're not love, you're like a resounding symbol, 1 Corinthians 13 verse 1 tells us. And in fact, it sounds like you're hitting people over the head with that symbol as well. Um, But really, it doesn't go well if there's no love. Because actually, this, this story has consequences. A lady came the first week to the evangelism training and she came from a nominal church that sadly didn't teach or live the gospel, but she came. And then she didn't come back again the following weeks. And one day we found out of someone else why, because this same guy that I'd mentioned had asked her if she knew if she was going to heaven. And she said no. And then he said, well, what are you doing here then? You're in an evangelism course and you're not even saved. And she never came back. She never came back to the the course. A different response could have made a huge difference to her life. You're not sure you're going to heaven? Oh, sister, let me share with you how you can be sure of heaven. Let me tell you what Jesus has done for you and what he says about assurance through him. I hope that lady gets to experience God's love somewhere. An unloving gospel message is not a gospel message at all. If it's not a message of love, then you're not being persecuted for Jesus' sake. It's because you need to change. If you're standing up for Jesus, but you're not doing it in a loving way, then think, who are you really standing up for? Yes, you might love Jesus, and that's why you're standing up for him in the first place. But you also need the love of God to love the person who's insulting God in that moment. You love God so you get offended and that comes across in your reply to them. But God loves them more than he's being offended by them and he wants you to love them the same way. So even though Peter stood before those who plotted to kill Jesus, his love for Jesus was great enough that he was able to do what he needed to do for Jesus. 
Also, if someone offends you personally and you get angry with them, then later you justify it to yourself. Well, it must be because I'm a Christian that they said that about the cheesecake that I baked. You know? <laughs> that's, that's not really persecution. And another situation is, oh, I was right to be angry because it was righteous anger. How is that helpful, friends? Now, is that a, a good gospel witness? Not only do we need to love God, we need God's love to love others. Does that make sense? To love God, you need God, especially in times of persecution. So friends, we need the Spirit of God to give us courage and wisdom to face each day. We need the Word of God to remind us who God is and who we are. And we need the love of God to change us and the lives of those around us. What is stronger in you, the fear of persecution or your love for God? And is that really a love for God or for yourself and your dreams? There's a difficult challenge there that I leave you with. Thank you.